Welcome to the Honor Roll Podcast, the podcast that helps you level up your role-playing game. Tabletop, LARP, mush, and many things in between. We're not better gamers than you, we just all have different experiences to share. And maybe we can help you have more fun at your game, because the only way to win at a role-playing game is to to have have fun. fun. I'm Ryan, I'm the curmudgeon, and joining me as always is the legend, Carrie. Hello. And Jason, the favorite. Hey! I ain't got nothing this week. I'm good. It's okay. We'll just blame it on the weird, like, half-second lag that we've got with you. Oh, well, that's true. hmm. Mm. To be fair, the script does say Jason tries to be clever here. That's true. Well, I could talk about the fact that I've rediscovered my love of socks and sandals. They're so comfy. (laughs) I know it's terrible, but it's so comfortable. I'm so glad you're not here. (laughs) Have you done it? It is the best. No! Why Um, not? Are you afraid of, I, of looking like an idiot? Hey, don't let fear stop you from doing the things that you love. Is that what it I is? I don't fear? love looking like an idiot. It's very comfortable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. It's well, ridiculously comfortable. Before we get into gaming, let's go ahead and get a report on our Patreon backers. Ooh. So we have a Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash on a roll podcast. And uh, you can basically... Uh, uh, become a patron of the show and help pay the the bills, so to speak. Yes, you can help. Uh, it it pays for the like the audio board and the microphones and stuff that we use, and also the server fees and all that. And um, podcasting isn't cheap. It actually really isn't. <laughs> uh, no. But the cool thing is that if you become a patron, you also get free stuff. You can get uh, shout outs on the ah! show. What in the world was that? Who's shout outing? Well, you can get shout outs on the show. You can get uh, free stuff like like books and prints and uh, postcards and all that stuff. And uh, we got another postcard back. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one was from Ryan, Ryan Martin. Martin. Anyway, uh, tell us who our patrons are. Well, these are the patrons that are wizard level Ooh. and above. I thought you said Windsor level this time. No, I have been doing a lot of art lately, and that is a type of paint, but no. Windsor? Windsor New Is it the fanciest of paints? It's not the fanciest, but it's an okay brand. Mm. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. There goes my uh, sponsorship from them. <laughs> uh, so, no, we have Josh Heath from my favorite um, podcast. Yeah? Yeah. What? What's the name of that podcast? Werewolf the Podcast. Okay. Just curious. Just curious. We have Joel Eastland. Yay, he's my favorite Joel. <laughs> Ryan Martin. Who who needs to send us his address? I have it. He okay. sent it. Okay, good, good, good. He was very sad. He said, my postcard, my, my postcard. postcard. My postcard's missing. Drew Stevens. Who I hope he got his postcard now. I guess he did. I'm not sure. Drew, let us know. All right, we have Joe Hines with Lost Colonies. Cool. Who else do we have? Do you not Cameron have- Pruitt? <laughs> what is happening? Cameron's my favorite favorite. Yeah. Yeah. What about Noah Coltrip? Glad you asked. This week, Noah Coltrip is in Fredericksburg, Virginia. You see, in 1996, the Virginia Renaissance Fair attempted to create a replica medieval square where dads could be bards and bards wouldn't be laughed at. But all that remains today is the tick-infested, moldering husks of those bygone fantasies. Built deep in the Virginia wilderness to create an immersive atmosphere, the Virginia Renaissance Fair attempted to create the illusion of a bustling feudal port. Buildings were erected, and uh, improbable buildings on stilts with towers were created. There was even a replica sailing ship sitting in a small pond where performers would put on small shows and entertainments. Unfortunately, the swampy land, muggy climate, and long travel time proved a bit too much for the normal Renfest crowds, and after just two seasons of bad profits, the fair shuttered its gates and abandoned the site where it stood. 
Most of the decorations and props were moved, but the structures are still there rotting. And Noah is checking them out. What? Noah? I'm gonna... That, I think that's where I want to go next. That sounds dangerous. It is dangerous. That's the exciting part. Oh. Yeah, it's dangerous because, you know, now uh, they the ruins are, are used by uh, uh, a sportsman's club. And they go hunting and shooting there oh. all the yeah, time. Really? Yeah, no yeah and even your plate mail can't stop a bullet. Oh. Noah. Uh, Noah. Noah. Anyone else? Salim Halabi. Salim Halabi? Halabi. Ah, so close. And you were also actually were very Ryan Galliato of the Byways LARP. Yes. And then... Yeah, he's been running a lot of online events. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looks cool. And he, he gets dressed up every day and takes quarantine fashion photos. <laughs> That's true, he does, and doesn't makes he? Me, They make me so happy every time I see them. And then, <laughs> last but not least, is the patron saint of our podcast, Well, if you'd like a shout-out on the show, we'd love to give you one, and you can get it by helping us keep the show on the air by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash podcast. When last we left our intrepid adventurers, we were sitting here at this table over Zoom uh, recording a podcast. Zoom! Zoom! In the meantime, uh, what have you been up to, Jason? Well, uh, I have bought a new role-playing game, which I probably won't get a chance to play, but it's very interesting. It's uh, Edrigor, probably pronounced it wrong, terrible with words, as everybody knows. Uh, but it is a role-playing game based on Native American myths and legends, and it was written by a, uh, a group of people in the community called the uh, Council of Fools. And it's a Powered by Fate game. Uh, I haven't got a, a chance to dig into it very deeply, but uh, it, the art is uh, really nice. And what little bit of red's been pretty interesting. And what? also, I brought in Munchkin to work, and I've gotten my uh, table addicted to it. So we've been playing that every day. Wait, do you have just the basic Munchkin? or is Just it the theme? basic. Okay. I told him, look, when we start to get a little bored with this, we'll get some expansions from that, man. <laughs> I have I'm the like, apparently there are a thousand. Yeah, yeah. I have I have the Adventure Time set and it's don't, great. Don't Is we also good? have the Star Trek? Uh no, that's Flux. Oh, I don't know. They all look yeah. the same. Yeah. They they did Flux for a while and they finally got bored with it because once you really understand how to play Flux, it's not that fun anymore. Yeah. 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 It's really fun when you sort of know what's going on. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. All right, Ryan, anyway, what have you been up so to? So what have you been doing, Carrie? Oh, oh, is it me oh, or Carrie? Oh, my gosh. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. She, One second delay is enough to make this much more harder. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, what have you been up to? Well, uh, I have spent several hours reorganizing the gun belt. Mm-hmm. And so we now have a a solid outline that we think organizes everything in, a, in kind of the sort of modern role-playing book way. And hopefully that will give us help to give us guidance to, you know, to start trucking through and finishing this thing. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. My favorite part was when I walked into the dining room and my dining room table was covered with um, item cards, index, with index, index cards, cards everywhere. And you were just moving them around like you look like a crazy person, like trying to explain like a, a theory or something. Uh, well, you know, the the weird thing about trying to decide uh, about I guess trying to decide how information for a role-playing game book is is presented mm-hmm. is that that there are lots of things that feel like they need to be presented simultaneously because you need to know this to understand that. And so, right. but you can't present them both at the same time. You're going to have to pick one or the other. And then on top of that, whichever one you pick, are you then going to present as narrative or as mechanics? Because you can't present the narrative side and the mechanic side at the same time either. Uh, mm-hmm. And so it's it's more complicated than you would think, uh, and and so you know we we studied. Me and Ashley went through uh, a a lot of of role playing game book indexes, <laughs> Fair. looking yeah. at how they were organized. So we think we've got one though. So we're we're pretty happy with it. So what have you been up to, Carrie? My life is just frogs. There is nothing else. This uh, <laughs> oh gosh. This, could could the, be worse. It could be horses. It could be horses. I am. I, I finished all of the pencils and the inks for this children's book that I'm illustrating. Mm-hmm. And I've started watercoloring everything. 
and my deadline is coming up very, very quickly. Cool. So that's kind of scary. So there. Awesome. <laughs> well, all righty. I guess then let's go to combat rounds. Welcome to Combat Rounds. Today we've got kind of a an interesting little topic. That's but it's, very interesting. It's not little. <laughs> so today, uh, Jason got a new role-playing game book, and uh, it kind of spawned a little bit of conversation. And we thought, you know, what do you what do you look for when you're looking for a new game? What makes you decide that you want to buy a game? Mm. And so we thought, well. That'd be a great thing to talk about. So that's what we're going to talk Instead about. Instead of talking about it on our group chat, yeah. we decided to talk about it here on the podcast. So real quick, I just want to say, yes. b- before we go out, get out of the gate, I just want to point out what we're not going to talk about is is how we hear about a game, right? I do, we're not going to talk about advertisements, uh, you know, or, or word of, you know, how somebody else tells you, oh, this is great, or anything like that, because those sort of things are very, very subjective and very uh, uh, reliant upon whatever medium, you know, the ad shows up in or anything like that. And so instead, we're going to actually more, instead of focusing on uh, publicity, we really want to kind of focus on the game and the creators themselves. So, uh, so Jason, tell us, this game that you just bought, why did you buy it? Well... Essentially, I saw uh, an ad. <laughs> it was because I had, uh, you know, I've been thinking about how basically every game I own is written by a bunch of old white guys who've been writing games forever. Right. Two, and two I thirds of to whom diversify my collection more. Uh, I mean, obviously, I already have uh, Chris Spivey's book and uh, Harlem Unbound. Sorry, I was pulling it out so I could look at it real quick. Um, yeah, we can't see it if you hold it up. It's a podcast. <laughs> I know, but I can hear me looking at it. And uh, and I wanted some more, uh, you know, because at the end of the day, it's still a Cthulhu game, which I'm, I'm not deriding that, but I wanted something that was a little different and out of my experience. So uh, people were posting about this game and that it had done very well, and it made me interested. So I, I, I got a copy of it to to look at so you and see so, what's what makes it special what makes it different so you really you bought this game because of the creator or creators yes, absolutely well then let's let's talk about that because that is certainly one of the one of the reasons or one of the things people look at uh when they're looking to to you know when they discover a game and decide if they're going to buy it or not mm-hmm. um and obviously too uh, real quick maybe i want to also i should also note that we're going to talk about a lot of these pieces but for different people different different pieces we talk about are going to matter more. Like as an artist, you know, Carrie's going to care more about art. Uh, as a writer, I'm probably going to care more about, you know, proper punctuation, um, things like that. And so like different people are going to, going to have different favorite items on this list. Uh, none of them I think are more important or less important than the others. Uh, but you know, it's, these are all things that, that folks think about or look at when they're deciding. Um, so, so creators, what, what sort of things do you think about when you're, when you're considering a game, uh, and you see who the creator or creators are? Well, I mean, I think the first thing you think about especially if it's somebody who's established is, do I like their other work? Do I like their body of work? Right. Yeah. yeah. Cause if you, if you hated the last game they put out, well, right. then there's a chance you probably might not like this one either. Right. There's <laughs> certainly something to be said about like, uh, certain creators have, feels you know what i mean like uh i I, like him or hate him like john wick games all have a certain element to them that that it just has a feel uh it's a little little bit little bit narrative and a a little bit collaborative you know in uh in a kind of pushy way if you pick up a john wick book you go oh yeah john wick wrote this right that's right you know everybody everyone knows a monty cook book is a monty cook book is gonna be 9,000 pages of, of stuff because Monty Cook books are all really overwritten. <laughs> I just seen a recipe. Oh, Cal, your opinions about these people are very strong. 
You know, but there's I own uh, I have books by Monty Cook. Right. You know, I, I'm just I'm just saying you it, you know Stephen King is gonna spend six pages describing the can of Pepsi that's sitting on the table and the, how the dent is reflecting the light from where his thumb had pressed too hard on the can when the guy was carrying it earlier and it's gonna go on for six pages and that's okay we like I mean those are the things we like about Stephen King like these are the things people like about Monty Cook these are the things people like about John Wick but. The reality is like different creators have feels just right. like, just like a writer or, or a director. Another thing that's important, especially in the climate today is the reputation of the creator. Okay. So what do you mean? I mean, like, if, are they a rapist? Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know, if you know, is it, does this person have black marks? Like, is this, are they toxic? Are they toxic? If they are not a good person, I do. Even if their game is great. I do not want to give them money. Right. What a horrific... Well, it, uh, it makes you view the game in the worst possible light. Yeah, absolutely. Even if you might have liked it, you are, are turned off by it. It's, it's one of the reasons why I've, I've been so uninterested in the the new version of Vampire is because it was too many people that worked on it with too many problems. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's isn't it a sad state of affairs when the very f- second thing that you say is, well, are they rapists? <laughs> like, I mean, it's terrible. this industry it's... has a trouble. Yeah. 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 I also think uh, the other thing is some creators uh, have a buzz, you know, like th- they're hot right now. Oh, sure. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And I yeah. think that that makes a difference. Sometimes like, like, for example, to you mentioned Chris Spivey. Chris Spivey's hot right now. If he, you know, anything so, he puts out, I'm going to, if I can afford it, I'm going to get it. Right. I've already, uh, I was on the Haunted West Kickstarter and if he puts out something else, I'm I'm at least gonna look at it. Yeah. Even if he's just involved in something, right? It doesn't right. have to be his to be book. Inter- You're like, I'm you know what? In it. He's 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 on it right now. Yeah. He's he's right. it. Yeah, and he's, he's of, our it girl right now. <laughs> <laughs> and some of some of that is tied to things like reputation and the games they've mm-hmm. done in the past. Like part of the reason he's so hot right now is because he's tr- he's a trustworthy designer. You know, those, and that's important. Yes. But, yeah. Yeah. All right, so so that's kind of the creator aspect and sort of the behind the scenes. So let's talk a little bit about when we're when we're considering the actual game itself. So let's start broad. Uh, let's talk about genre first. Ooh. <laughs> well, I mean, obviously the first thing's just the very subjective, like you know, do you like it, right? Because mm-hmm. like if you like westerns and the game is a western, there is a greater chance of you enjoying it than if you hate westerns right. and it's a western. So you know, there is a little bit of a you know, that subjectiveness just, is it something you like? But what other kind of things about genre do you think uh, play into to whether or not you might pick up a game? Well, you know, one of the things I look for now, uh, having played games for a while, is what is this game bringing to me that's something that I don't already have uh, already covers? Uh, like, I mean, you remember back in the, the 80s and part of the 90s, there was this glut of games that were basically D&D, but with the serial numbers filed off. It was just basically rehashes of them. Yeah, that still happens today a lot. Absolutely. And so if a game is not giving me something new and interesting take, then I'm probably not going to be that interested in it. Sure. What makes makes this game original and innovative? Yeah. I bought a game called Revolutionaries. Right. Because it is quite literally, it's a role-playing game about spies during the Revolutionary War. Like, <laughs> so who the hell thought that would be an awesome role-playing game? You did. But once I, you say it. <laughs> right? Now, I would never... Now, here's the thing is, I, I'll never play it. And, there, and, and there, there's two reasons I'll never play it. The first reason is because the books are so dry. Oh, my gosh. Right? Yeah. There's no art. There, it's just dry. It's but, like a pamphlet. Right? But, you know, so it's small, but then, like, you open it up and you're like, oh, no, I need glasses. Yeah. And, and the and second is... reason I'll never play it is just because, like, I'm the only person who owns it. And so, <laughs> I, you know what I mean? Like, nobody else is going to. But that, which ties into the this, too. I think gr- the interest of your gaming group matters. Absolutely. You know? At the end of the day, you can, there's no point. If you really want to play in a game or run it and your group isn't interested, I mean. It's going to sit on the shelf. you to make them interested. Yeah. Right. Well, and that's, you know, but then that ties into this idea that there are only three kinds of people who are deciding whether or not to buy a role-playing game. 
right? Four mm-hmm. four kinds of people if you count the creators parents because my mom will buy my book <laughs> yeah. right but <laughs> yeah <laughs> but like fair. there's people who are looking to run there's people right. who are looking to play and yeah. then there's people like ashley rayburn who are just looking to buy and collectors re- they just want to read it and then put it on their shelf mm-hmm. and they know they'll never play it they're never gonna gonna run it but they want to read it see what's going on and then put it on their shelf and, those, and that's and cool to be too. fair there's a lot of games i buy for that same reason i know like, uh, I'll probably not ever get to play Edricor, but I really want to read it and see what it's about. I think that we are all, in our heart of hearts, a little bit of the collector. I, I think that's true. Like, if you're if you're a gamer of any kind, you have a shelf. Yeah. yeah. You know. it's, we all have more dice than we need. Yes. We all have more <laughs> games than we'll ever play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, even if it's in, like, a line, like the World of Darkness, for example... How many books have we all bought that were in that line just because we wanted to read them, even though we know we're never going to get to play any of the things in those books? Right. Yep. Or, or we'll never be interested in running anything of it. Like the, uh, the Time of Judgment book. I'm never going right. to run the actual apocalypse in one of my Werewolf the Apocalypse games. Like that's just me. That's me personally. Never going to run that. Never going to be interested in playing that. Like it just doesn't interest me. That's not the part of the genre that's interesting to me, but you better believe it's on my shelf. Yeah. And you read it. <laughs> and I did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I think, uh, I, you know, that's kind of it too, is, is there's just a lot of personal feelings about genre. Like just, you know, do you, is there, sometimes there's just a something that makes you go, huh? All right. Like uh, dinosaurs and cowboys. Yeah. In a world without wheels. Or, yeah, that I, or I mean, even like, you know, Ninja Turtles and other strangeness. Like, yeah. that's such a almost niche thing. But like all all of those collectors, I'll talk about that book. Sure. Yeah. You know, like it's. Or the Street Fighter book. Oh, my oh, gosh. If you're a World oh, of Darkness oh, oh. person, World of Darkness people like they they search for that Street Fighter mm-hmm. book. It's it's funny, you know. Oh, hey, we should talk about it. Real br- oh, Can we, we, we segue. For a second. Is that what you're going to say? We have it? <laughs> no. I was going to talk about the other uh, brass ring that you got. Oh, my gosh. Uh, our friend Chris Bonnet. Oh, that's right. He found for me the Werewolf the Wild West poker deck. And it's awesome. And I have been looking for that thing for like 20 years. I, and it's it was so wonderful to get it. I couldn't believe it. It was great. But you know, but like, now he's done. But guess he who? doesn't have to buy any more role playing books ever again. <laughs> well, what I was gonna say is, I don't play poker. <laughs> but you know, but I collect the werewolf stuff, and that's kind of the other piece to the personal feelings thing. Is you know, there are people who buy role playing books uh, because the topic is a thing they collect, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, like there are people who uh, like. I, I know, and Carrie is not one of them because she would love to play it, but there are people who are like huge ElfQuest fans yeah. who have hunted down the ElfQuest role-playing game book for no other reason than because it's part of their ElfQuest collection. Right. right. You know, like they don't even know what Dungeons and Dragons is. <laughs> <laughs> right. But there, that's a, again, ties into that genre, the personal feeling about the genre. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, let's move into the book itself then. So you get the, you're, you know, you're at the store, you're looking at a book or you pick it up or you see it online or whatever, you know, what, what's the first thing I guess that we see about, about the product itself? All right. Well, the first thing I notice is the cover and usually the art on the cover. Sure. Absolutely. Um, you know, how, how the layout of the cover is, all, all of those things are really important to just, you know, grab my attention. The art and the design. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, let's talk about the cover covers then for a second, because covers will, are definitely, a, a you know, don't judge a book by the cover, but guess you what? Do. We do, right? So, so the quality of the art and the quality of the design. Um, so, on a cover that that would indicate like the logo. Yes. Right? Is the lo- Does the logo look sharp? Does it look like it was drawn by a two year old? Uh, are there four fonts on it? Oh my god! Uh, <laughs> I know you despise multiple fonts. Well, no, it isn't even that I def- despise multiple fonts. I despise multiple fonts that have no connection or correlation and don't look good with one another. Like right. people who use multiple fonts, lots of fonts, just because they want to use lots of fonts and there's no professional thought to it. Right. 
Uh, we're looking at you, Werewolf the Apocalypse 5th Edition. So um, really what you're talking about, it's really not the fonts. It's the fact that they put thought into this part of their design. Or did Because it is part of the design of the game, what it looks like. Yeah. Well, and Just the words on the page and the cover, all that is part of it. At least it should be. And I do think fonts matter, you know? I mean, like, a great, a great example of that is werewolf in the past right since we're talking about werewolf in the past werewolf has that sort of claw scratch kind of uh font right you've Mm -hmm. got somebody actually created that font it wasn't uh it wasn't like they picked times new roman you know what i mean like they actually had a font designer design that that font um you went through all that trouble to have this iconic font design that is exclusive to your game and then you you'd only use it for the letter w and you replace yeah. it. You replace it with a bunch of stuff that looked like they came from a Microsoft free font pack, and none of them look good together. <laughs> the, the logo kind of feels like a ransom note. It, oh, it's terrible. Yeah, yeah. and so no, because it it's all cut up and they're different yeah. shapes. And I just thought that's actually a really fun design for the right game. For, well, the, for the right game, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and and part of the reason. So part of the reason also that it's such a terrible logo treatment is also because. Vampire the Masquerade's fifth edition logo treatment is gorgeous. It I, is, that's it absolutely is true. It's super clean. If I wasn't already dealing with the bitter taste from the problems with the game, I would say that the layout and the art, a lot of it is just beautiful. So you know, so I think that logo that the logo matters. Like a junkie, mm-hmm. a junkie. So if you know nothing about a game, a great logo may make you pick the game up and look at it, right? Because it just makes it look professional. Yeah. You know, like, oh, okay, well, they didn't have their three-year-old just design the logo. Right, you know. Right. <laughs> so let's talk. I, I'm going to say one of the things that attracted me to Apocalypse World, it's it's a very dirty, messy cover, but it's also communicating what the game is about. Mm-hmm. The font choices, everything, it's all very, it looks like it was done in somebody's basement, but that was a design choice. You know what I mean? And then, And that's fine then. Right. As long as selling that. You should always, like as an artist, you should always be in control of the art. If you want that, you know, if you want to get that feel across, then that's how you do that. But if that feel comes across and that's not what you were trying to do with your cover, (laughs) you have failed. Right. Right. And And I think that your genre should very much influence those those choices. Yeah. You know, I mean, to to jump back to that to the werewolf, that new werewolf logo real quick. Um, the blocky cutout part that you're talking about, they're actually supposed to be stencils. They, they look like, like uh, military crate stencils, right? Uh-huh. Sure. And stencils are a very industrial, uh, technical kind of look, right? And it's a game about feral man beasts. Like it doesn't, nothing about that makes sense. It's, and yeah, so it's, it's just strange. You know, you've got this game that's filled with, they, they make their own writing. You know, the characters have a language that has its own unique look and writing, the glyphs and everything. Uh, and you, it's got a unique font. And instead they went with like, it's, it's just bizarre. It's bizarre. Can, can I say that in the old werewolf game, one of the most brilliant design choices was making that language. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. It, it hooks me almost more than anything else. Cause it's like, here's this thing you can, Take yourself and make all sorts of cool art and, uh, you know, role-playing moments with just this. Yeah. One one yeah. of my favorite things I've ever done in a LARP was I was playing a den parent and I made flashcards of the oh, glyphs. Oh, nice. So that you could teach new players. So I could the- actually teach them in-game and it was so funny because I'd have, I had like three or four, you know, cubs that would sit around me. And I would do it, and then I'd look up, and I'd realize that all of the older players were starting to come to sit down. Yeah, and you know, it's like I ended up like with half the game. Well, I was just teaching them glyphs. It adds to the immersion, mm-hmm. right? You know, so sometimes this goes the other way, though. There's problems with layout and design that subtract a lot. Like y'all got that new, uh, uh, what's the new book you got that's impossible to read? Oh, Star <laughs> <laughs> Star Trek Adventures. So and then we've mentioned it before, right? Yeah, I'm sure that we have. So, so terrible. The problem terrible. with Star Trek Adventures, and this is so I love Star Trek, so I was in. Uh, when you first glance at it, the entire thing looks like I'm about to be nerdy for a second, but it all looks like an L cars display, which is the 
the computers from next generation mm-hmm. and stuff. That sounds brilliant, right? That sounds brilliant. And to it, make it look like. And to flip through the book, it's brilliant. Yeah. But then to stop and try and read it, it's this little tiny serif font in white on top of pitch black paper. Mm-mm. And it's like in like nine point type. It's really small. And the whole thing just looks like this hodgepodge mishmash of like Laura Ipsum text text. It's just, you can't read it. It hurts your eyes. It's you get lost. It's, it's horrible. And in fact, the designers, well, I shouldn't say the designers, the company, uh, Modifius, they know it's so bad that they actually have called, they call it the printer friendly PDF Right. Because they right. don't want to, they don't want to admit that it's hard to read. And so instead they say this is so that if you wanted to print out a page for your players to look at, they've they've redesigned the book where it's black text on white paper. Yeah. <laughs> but they've like done it because people. Right. And so like if I whenever I want to look something up in that book, I'm always only looking at that at the, the, the printout. Yeah, because you can't read the book. It's horrible. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, I think, you know, your your layout design has to be be clear and be easy on the eyes uh it's got to be something that i i want to keep turning the page to see more of uh you know so that means like using a pretty background behind the text is wonderful as long as the pretty background doesn't make the text hard to read (laughs) right yeah right um you know and and also part of the clarity is organization um, you know, we were talking about this with the gum belt, but it matters like the order in which you present things so that people are discovering the mechanics, the genre, the setting and all of these things uh, in a way. What you don't want is to start by talking about something that you don't explain until chapter nine. It needs to feel organic. Yeah. And so, so <clears throat> organization you know, is something hard. that we we've been critical of by Night studios books in the past, but I will say that they're especially their vampire book. If you hand it to a new player, it, it it basically begins with, here's how you make a character and is explaining each one of those steps with the section that they need to understand why they're making these choices. Yes. Yeah. They have a, it's probably their single best design choice. Yeah. Yeah. They have uh, for a new player, that book is designed perfectly for an advanced player. It starts to have some trouble when you get into things where like certain things are, are, only talked about in certain sections and not in yes. and not repeated in places where it's important and stuff like I that. I would but, say that the the game suffers most from a design perspective of the layout and everything in the last third. Yes, yeah, yeah. That's the that's the like the the details stuff. Yeah, that you need to know explicitly how things work. Right, and it's and I, I understand their choices. But as a but, new player, you can pick that book up and have a character made in like you know forty minutes if you're a new player and don't understand anything. Yeah, if you're a um, competent advanced player, you can do it very fast because every step you go to, they've got the rule right there next to it. Right, right. Anyway, so uh, what else do you look for, Ryan? Uh, well, is it in color or black and white? You know, I mean, let's just be honest. I get it. Books are expensive to print, right? But like, I- I'm gonna prefer to. S- the reality is that a role-playing game book is gonna cost you between thirty and sixty dollars no matter right. what, right? And so I have seen $30 books in color, $30 books in black and white. And I could say the same thing about $60 books. And so because of that, I just always kind of feel like in most instances, I'd really prefer to see the whole thing in color. Um, there are exceptions. I'm willing to cut a, uh, like a new company or an indie company a break because I know it doubles your, well, I don't know if it doubles, but it increases your art costs. Yes. Yeah. And your printing costs, obviously. Uh, I'm also willing to give any, if, if I feel like it's a design choice and I feel like it fits the game. Right. I mean, I like color too, but I'm not as, it's not as big a deal for me. I, I feel like color or black and white is not going to make me not buy the book, right. but, but really gorgeous color might make me buy it. We, it has. It has, yeah. Yeah, because kids on bikes, like oh. the, the art is what got, like you were like, we're buying this because of the art. And I yeah. was like, whoa, wait, whoa, okay. <laughs> well, and then it's you, a beautiful book too. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then I showed it to you and you were like, no, you're right. Yeah, you're are. right. We are. We are. Yeah. Yeah. But, I, and thankfully that game turned out to be also uh, awesome. Yes. Yeah. So for me, you know, I, I love color artwork, especially mm-hmm. in books. You know, I, I tend to lean that way. But if it's a good black and white drawing, that'll blow color out of the water for me. 
Absolutely. Yes, that, I, I agree. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's just because you've got to be really a great artist yeah. to be able to pull that same emotion. I always am fascinated you... by, by books that are are printed in color, but use black and white artwork. Like some of the old, the old white wolf stuff, like with, uh, is it Bradstreet? Was that who did? Yeah, he was one of them. Yeah. Well, he kind of the icon. He's the iconic artist. Yeah. (laughs) Excuse me. (laughs) Did you just say back when he was good? Yeah. (laughs) I so agree with that. Be nice. Both of you. You know what? The, he switched, he switched mediums. Uh, he went. He used to do these really gorgeous black and white line art illustrations, mm-hmm. and then at some point he uh, he switched, and now he does photo manipulation. Like yeah. he takes a picture, and then he digitally paints that picture in Photoshop. And I don't think he's as good at that. And I, I would agree with Jason with that. I actually don't think it's. I think he is just as good. I think that the artwork is better though with his old stuff, and there's okay. a difference. Like I think his skill level is just as good as it was. I think okay. to do what he does takes the same amount of skill, but I just don't think it is as uh, dynamic. Sure. Right. Other. I, I mean, the, the pictures are, they're pretty. Right. I mean, yeah. I can't argue with that, but just, man, some of his old line art is so. And that's the. the well, there's so much emotion. And that's the yes. thing too is emotion. something about vampire, black and white, that stark graphic, mm-hmm. it feels yes. right for vampire. Yeah. Because there's something about just vampires. It feels like even the morality should be almost black and white sometimes. With, with And so, I don't know. Really... Or But not because it's always gray. Yeah. 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 And that's what makes it fun. So we're so since we're talking about the pictures and the art, then let's, let's talk a little bit about the pictures and the art. Yeah. So we have these kind of two categories. And I think that what you do, which of those you choose uh, can have different looks and feels, mm-hmm. right? And I think that some of those things speak more to some people than others, right? Like personally... I always think photographs in a role-playing game look bad. I just, it doesn't speak to me at all. Um, I'm going to say I disagree for the, the old World of Darkness LARP books that would have <laughs> the character pictures in them. I know that sometimes they were kind of goofy, but it, it sold me on the idea that people are doing this. Strangely. Oh, look, this is what I should look like. These I, strangers are dressed up like this and their pictures are in the book. I actually enjoy the old LARP photos more than yeah. I enjoy the new photos where they're using models. Yeah, because it all right. looks fake. It well, looks cheesy. And more importantly, like if you know, this is a book for for LARP. I can't look like that. No, yeah, I, I know don't what you look mean. like a model. I look like the 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 person who's pretending to be a gangrel. I can do that. Right. And then suddenly yeah. I'm connected to the book. It felt accessible. Yes. Sure. Um, for me, I say there was a, a, a book that completely l- left me behind because they used photos. It was called uh, Corporea, and it's about, I don't know, it's kind of this shadow runny corporation versus corporation game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the entire book, which became unreadable because of this, <laughs> is all, uh, what do you call the art that you, the photos you download off of? Uh, clip art? No, there was a lot of clip art, but also... Uh, uh, stock photos? Yes, the entire book was stock photos. <laughs> and they were mildly manipulated, but that's it. <laughs> wow. I, and yeah. they were so ugly that I, I couldn't focus on the book. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah, st- photos photos in general takes take me out of it. Like, uh, you know, we were talking about Vampire 5th Edition. Like, vamp- one of the... I don't care for the art in Vampire the Fifth Edition because I feel like it's incredibly inconsistent. Like some right. some of it is is art or some I'm sorry some of it is illustration some of it is photography some of it's painting some of it's line art some of it is is photos and like it doesn't feel uh, they don't feel connected to me right um, and so it's like look at this amazing piece of this amazing uh, illustration. That's amazing. Look at this goofy looking model with fake blood dripping out of her mouth. Right. And so, and and I just, it it loses me, but um, so I think consistency amongst whatever your art pieces Mm -hmm. is important. And it it doesn't have to be consistency as in the same artist. Right. But you know, have some, you know, have guidelines for your artist to all follow. Yeah. Style guide is really important. Yeah. Um, and I think that the look and the feel of whatever it is that you pick, even if you pick photos, because some people don't mind them, but, you know, they should all have a look and a feel, yeah. you know, uh, and that look and feel not only should it 
maintain through all of the images that you use, but that look and feel should also kind of match the look and feel of your genre. Well, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And so that's one of the things I love about a lot of the apocalypse world books is that the, the art styles that they choose for each book fits the genre perfectly. Right. Have you ever, have, have any, I mean, I, so we know I, I bought kids on bikes because the art's amazing. Have either of you ever bought a book just because the art was incredible? I don't know if uh teenage mutant Ninja turtles, Ninja turtles and other strangers would count. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you know, I think the artwork in there is amazing, but I was also, a, you know, like, I guess, sure. I mean, technically that would be part of it. I would say the closest I've come to that is, uh, there was this game called Hackmaster that came out and it was yeah. kind of like, you remember how Pathfinder replaces is supposed to be what happens if D and D 3.0 continues. Right. Well, this was like, what if AD&D got a new version instead of it becoming 3.0? <laughs> wow. It, the whole game is a parody on purpose. So each one of the covers are a parody of one of the old uh, D&D covers. And the fact that the, the art on it is just hilarious and looks exactly in the same style as those old books it really helped sell me on the games themselves because you knew if they put this much thought into what the cover looked like and making it a parody, but also mm. an homage, you knew right. the book was going to do the same thing. And and that is a testament to, I think that this look and feel and consistency in your artwork, like those old D and D books with all the, the, even if it wasn't Larry Elmore at all, look like El Larry Elmore stuff, <laughs> right. you know, that sort of chicken scratchy, like almost sketched with an ink pen kind of thing. Um, <sighs> Uh, his gorgeous artwork, though. I don't. I mean, all of that in like the best ways. I got to meet him briefly oh. at a Gen Con once. Yeah, and this is when I was young and perky and had my sketchbook with me. And I said, "Mr. Elmore, will you draw me an Ivy sketch, please?" And he drew. I don't even remember what. I think it was a little dragon or something. And he drew me a dragon real quickly. And it took him like five seconds, and it was with a ballpoint pen. Mm -hmm. So that's what I thought you were making the oh. joke about. <laughs> and was and, it amazing? And it was, but I also realized that he drew that same exact dragon for everyone, which is <laughs> fine. It's fine. I'm not complaining at all. But it, you know, it, I thought that's what you were making no, the no. joke about because I was like, yeah, no, but that, that's just kind of his style. Yeah. yeah. Wait, do you, do you still have that dragon? Do you know where it is? I, I have that sketchbook somewhere that it's filled with a bunch of different artists who did that for me. Because I was yeah, cute. Cool. And I, it was, I used to be cute and I got free art. It was also back in the day before they realized that they could, they could sell, charge. Yeah, they could do commissions <laughs> on site. So, yeah. You know, a oh, book I almost... To, the one time I went to Gen Con, I got uh, a couple of the artists to autograph my magic cards. And now that costs like, I don't know, 20, 30 bucks a piece. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, the one, uh, the one book that I almost bought just because of the artwork was Overlight. Oh, it is beautiful, isn't that it? That artwork's incredible. So it's uh Carrie obviously doesn't remember it. It came out what last year sometime. Yeah, it's not very old. It was huge at Conuga this year. Everybody was playing it. So I, uh, it's it got like the kaleidoscope my... color across the top of it. And okay. Stuff. I didn't move from my table from your booth. Yeah. From my booth. Yeah, at Conuga. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And everyone's like, so I had so much fun like, at Conuga. Uh, and I'm the always entire like, system and all the arts based off colors of the rainbow. Well, it looks fun. very interesting. Yeah. All right. So, uh, Let's talk about other things that make you decide, you know, the other things that you look for mm -hmm. in a role in a new game. Uh, what about rules? Right. So rules, is it for me? I want to know, is it a is it a sandbox game or is it kind of a plotted narrative rule world? Right. Um, you know, because those have different interests for me. Sure. Uh, for me, I like them both for different reasons, but there are some people that only like one or the other. Um, so in that, I prefer games in which uh, okay so like one of the reasons why i keep coming back to DD over the years is because it doesn't tell me what the setting is it tells me what the setting should be like so sometimes that means it means i get to do the world building more right. and if i'm playing in uh like say the world of darkness i already know what the world is because they tell you exactly what it is right and so that's something i'm interested in what 
how much of the world is set in stone and how much of it am I uh, able to, to create? I mean, obviously you can change whatever you want, but there's expectations. Right. The older I get, the more I like sandboxes. I yep. like to be able to create my own. Yeah. And, and I know the older I get, get off my mind, <laughs> you know, but it's true though. Like I, I'm really starting to lean away from here's the, the book with the entire universe. And I'm like, no, right. I don't want that. Like, I want you to give me guidelines for the theme. Right. And I will make up way cooler things than anyone else can. Oh, you know? you're like, going to hate the gun belt. <laughs> no. Too late. No, you know what we did? What we tried to do with the gun belt is we created a, a, a plotted narrative world in which you can sandbox your own town to play in. So it's a little. I was going to say, I think you hit a good middle. Yeah. Because you're going to have uh, plenty of details, but there's also a lot of empty space. Yeah, we tried. So yeah. well, I don't know how. That's one of the things what? I liked about Exalted. There's like here's three cities, and also there's a thousand miles between them. Put whatever you want there. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, and I think mechanics matter. Like, so the first thing, as far as specifics about mechanics, is uh, like di- people like different levels of crunch. Right? Sure. You know, how complicated are is the dice mechanics? Like, are they, right. uh, how much math is involved? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. that's, that's the one that I'm moving so far away from. When I was in my uh, late teens, early 20s, and I was playing games, I'm like, you know, I want to be able to roll dice to figure out everything. You know, I liked games like Shadowrun when there was so <gasps> much crunch and so oh. many tactical decisions you had to make and all that stuff. It was wonderful. Now I'm like, I've got 30 minutes to read this. Right. It's funny that you say that because I specifically, when I flip through a book, if I'm trying to decide if I'm going to buy it or not, and I'm able to put it in my hands and I flip through it, one of the things that I look for is I look for tables. Right. How how many tables are in there? Because if there's a shit ton of tables, that's a level of crunch I'm not interested in. Right. And I might be more interested in playing that game, but I'm not going to run it because right. I don't want to have to memorize all that. It's one of the things I hated about AD&D is it was like uh, every single thing you tried to do, you had to refer to a table on another page. Yeah. Yeah. Was, <laughs> so I look for tables, but, you know, and I think that some of that's tied to where we're going. I think with this, Jason, is, is that uh, is it sandbox versus plotted? And then is it collaborative or narrative? Sure. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and, and I think that all and even in more narrative games, I don't want it to be too crunchy. I would agree. I would agree with that. Yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> I will say that I'm not going to crap on crunchy games because like I said, in my twenties, I had plenty of time to sit down and, and go through a book and comb through it and figure out exactly how everything I used to love mage. It's a great game, mm-hmm. but it's very crunchy. It's very crunchy for a game that is supposed to be very flexible, but you have to get a lot of mechanics before you get to that freeform flexibility. So I'll say this kind of fits in the rules section, kind of not. Um, and this is really kind of people are going to either get it or not. Um, I look to see how big the book is. Oh, yes. Like, like I, I don't want to play a 700 page game. Right. No. Like I don't. I don't. You care. don't want a money cookbook. Even, <laughs> even if it's all genre and very little rules. It's a lot of genre. That's a lot of genre for me to memorize. Yeah. Not interested. You know, like, and I'm not saying that. Let, that's why I, I would much rather prefer like a smaller book and then have supplement books after right. versus one book that's got everything in it. First of all, you end up breaking your spine right. on the sure. book. No matter what, like none of those big books, if you use them, they don't survive. Yeah, that 900 page physical mechanic of the book itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The 900 page, the 900 page Werewolf the Apocalypse by Night Studios book. I've never seen a single one that's actually used. That's not in three pieces. Yeah. And that's the hardbound, you know, version. Yeah. Right. It's not even the, the cheaper paperbacks. Yeah. Right. No, no, no. In fact, the paperbacks stay together stay together better they do sure straight they do. but yeah. but they get beat up in different ways right i don't have the like cognitive capacity to memorize all that stuff anymore yeah, yeah. i i think uh, and so this kind of comes into setting which is the next thing that we were going to talk about just how much sure. lore is there right 
Um, and I also think the, that along with how much lore is there, uh, I also think, you know, it, we're kind of hearkening back a little bit to, to layout and design, but this is more about the writing part of it, but narrative clarity, you know? So what do you mean by that exactly? So I mean two things. I mean, uh, is, the, <laughs> is the writing easy to understand? Sure. Right? So because, and, and I, I've learned this firsthand, trying to explain a mechanic in a way that doesn't take six pages, but also is clear and makes sense is, is a challenge. It is a, uh, there is a skill to that. Um, and then the other side of narrative clarity is, um, uh, I, I think that it's things like, uh, is what you're saying true to the game? Uh, and so this kind of ties into the whole like unreliable narrator aspect of it, right? And I know that bothers you a lot more it, than me. It bothers you me a lot, but unreliable narrator. But it bothers a lot of people, and it doesn't bother a lot of people. So sure. it, it's enough to to bring up, I think, because it bothers no, you I, or it doesn't. I right? agree that we should bring it up because it might sell me on a game that this game is kind of figured out. Whereas for you, it would be like, nope, I know I'm not going to like it because it's this way. Right. One of the, so for, for folks listening, if you don't know, an unreliable, <laughs> the unreliable narrator is just simply this idea that, uh, the, instead of reading it, like in a, instead of, uh, writing the book as in, in like a third person, this is the rules of the, of the verse. This is how things work. This is what the lore means. You know, this is who God is and how he created the world, right? Instead, they use an unreliable narrator. And so it could be that they've just wrote it in the third person and went, nobody really knows. Some people think it's this. Some people think it's that. Uh, and that's the least, for me, the least bothersome way. Uh, but when it really bothers me is when, like, the book is told in first person by, like, I'm Clem Jacobs, and I'm going to tell you all about how this world started. This right. is called the gun belt. And Clem Jacobs <laughs> better be in the gun belt now. Right. Yes. Uh, and so, you know, some character. A, little, a little bit of that is okay. But, like, when you get into, uh, so I'm going to, here's my classic example. The old aberrant system I thought was amazing. It is hands down, I would still say this to this day, it is hands down the best superhero mechanic game ever. Like, if, no matter what superpower you want your hero to do, it's in that book with a mechanic that is clear, concise, and makes sense. But the the narrative part of that book, where they explain the setting and explain the world, is, is actually put together, I'm not joking, it's put together as a collage of newspaper clippings and book entries and magazine articles. And so they, so every single piece has its own narrative voice with its own narrative slant and its own angle and its own plan and its own interpretation of what's going on. And it becomes such a mess that I had no idea what the fuck was going on with that book. And so basically <laughs> I, like I've, I've played with no less than three different gaming groups in which in every single group we played superheroes in America, in a, in a, in a city and we used those rules, those mechanics, and not a single other thing in the book. Wow. Um, and, you know, today we'd probably play masks. But, yeah, but right, back yeah, then, yeah. you know, pre-masks, that was that was like the definitive superhero mechanics. But nobody played in the aberrant world because it made no sense. Was aberrant the white wolf? It was, okay. yes. Was that put out the same time they started putting out, was it chain? Changeling or Changeling Second Ed? I don't remember which one. I don't remember because they was. did that a lot with Changeling too. Yeah, where here's all these letters written back and forth, you know, in a couple places, and it was like, first of all, I can't read this typing. Right. Well, second ed second and, edition, uh, second edition revised all of their uh, clan books and tribe books are written that yeah. way. It's it's terrible. I hate it. Just tell me how it is. As a storyteller, I would just want to know how it is. Yeah. But. But that's just me. We're kind of getting into a rant now. But what? Uh, for some people, Ryan rant. I know, right? I'm some kind no. of curmudgeon. So uh, the other, the other thing that drives me nuts about a setting is I don't want a book to have <laughs> biblical consistency. <laughs> you don't want it to have biblical consistency. I, I do not want biblical consistency, and by that I mean I don't want every chapter to tell me how it is in a different way. It's that it, it's a different version of unreliable narrator. Like, you know, everyone used to say, 
uh, if you buy enough White Wolf books, you can find what you need written in one of them, and you can mm-hmm. find Absolutely. and you can find it in another book telling you that's not how it is. Yeah, right. right? And everybody makes the joke. It's like the Bible. <laughs> depends <laughs> depends on Just which. Keep reading until you find the part you like. Right. Yeah. And and I don't that, that drives me nuts. So I, I was going to say the big the biggest person guilty of uh, I'd say person company of unreliable narrator is the world of darkness. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. It's everything in every book is a lie according to every other book. You know, and it was clearly they did that on purpose. Sometimes, yeah. And and because they thought this is clever. And it was the first time. And But, you know, when it became the only thing that they relied on all the time, it was like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. The only problem I have with the unreliable narrator in the world of darkness is that people have very strong opinions about things that happened in the lore. And I'm like, every <laughs> single book published tells you this could be bullshit. Yeah. Right. And yet you've got a strong opinion about it. And yeah. enough to be arguing. Right. Yeah. And Out angry. character. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think the last thing to setting is just the simplest, which is just, is this setting inspiring and creative? You know, like- I think that comes back to my first thing that attracts me to a game is what is unique about it? What, yeah. it, you know, what mm-hmm. is it doing that somebody else isn't already doing? I bought a I bought a game called Belly of the Beast, and I bought it. Yes. I only bought it because I've never heard of a setting that was anything like this before. And the short version is just: it's a game in which you play inside. Uh, you, the world the world was eaten by a giant nine hundred mile long worm, and so you are. But it digests very slowly, and so inside the belly of this beast <laughs> is is your old world and you climb through its guts and things to go to other cities to try and find food and there are bad guys and all this stuff and i've never heard anything like that and it was an amazing read it, i'll never play it but it was amazing read you're not gonna run it for us i, I thought it was gonna be our post uh covid game maybe the first one maybe we'll i play think it. we need to make a list of all these games that we have that we, we're like you know never play it and then we got to find other people to run it for us. <laughs> I think we could just get Josh Heath to run all of them for us. Oh, or, that'd or be let's, great. Let's just like pick a random patron on our Patreon. And just tell them, you have to them, do it. Hey, Joel, <laughs> you're running a game for us. Right. Oh my gosh. I can't wait till Ryan Martin runs Revolutionaries. <laughs> that just feels like his game. Yeah. 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 It seems yeah. like his game. And he would have to cook for us while he, he did it. Holy shit. Right. You, I know. So we're the, driving to Louisville. Right. So we, I, totally we will. No, no, he's not in Louisville. He moved. Yeah, because we yeah. didn't get the yeah. card. <laughs> All right, so well, the last... address on that card, say it on the air. <laughs> so the, the last part of this, so that's really everything that you kind of look for from a generic sense in a game, I think. But the last two things I want to talk about real quick is because, you know, we talked earlier about how uh, everybody looks at a game as either someone who's going to just put it on their shelf and collect it or as a, you know, a game runner or as a game player. Mm-hmm. And so if you're looking at it as a storyteller or a game runner, there's a couple of things you're going to look for. And if you're looking at it as a player, there's a couple of things. So as a storyteller, um, what do you, what are some things that you look for? Uh, if, if you're like, Hmm, am I going to buy this game or not? Cause I would love to run it. What's going to make you, uh, want to run it. Okay, this is going to, to me it sounds weird, but I want to very clearly understand what the game is asking of me as a storyteller. Well, that's great. So, like, I really love Dungeon World. Okay. I think it's probably better than D&D at telling D&D stories. However, the, the player section, brilliant. Super easy. Everything's very clear. Choices are clear uh, and meaningful. But when you get to the storyteller section, it sort of assumes that you already know how to run Apocalypse Mm. World games. And it's not very obvious how to run it, especially if you're coming from a less collaborative tradition. It's not teaching you that. Right. It it gives you a bunch of rules of how to run it, but it, it doesn't really tell you how to implement them very well. It's more like, hey, you should collaborate with your players, but it's difficult to it's not teaching you how that it wants you to collaborate with your players. Okay. Yeah. So what about you, Ryan? Uh, What's I, some uh, stuff that you look for I want as it, a storyteller? I want it to have hooks. I, I, I need something to hang my story on. Like I want plot hooks. 
You know, right. like if, if I flip through the book, I want it to show me some uh, some ideas of things that I could run to to play off. That of. would be part of the genre, part of the world. Yeah, yeah. Okay. There is a. Um, I think it's the new seventh, the new edition of Seventh C. Like, there's like a whole chapter that's just like, here's a list of the kinds of stories that you should run. Mm. Right? Oh, that's super I like cool. That a lot. It's not, it, and it's not even handing me plots. It's more like handing me like this is the kind of story that you run. Here's an example of the kind of story to run if you want a game that's filled with romantic intrigue, you know, or whatever like that. Like, I want, I, I and I also want there to be enough enough genre and setting for me to hang my story on, but also not so much that my story gets hanged by the, <laughs> by yes. the genre. You don't um, want it to be suffocated. You want to have room. Yeah. And then I also wanted to have some, the tools and support for me to tell those stories that I want to tell, you know, fate is, uh, you know, I know fates are very, a very vague and collaborative setting uh, or set of rules. Um, but, but man, they have, they publish toolkit. I mean, they actually call them toolkits, but they publish toolkits for, for how to run different sort of things, uh, like constantly. The stuff stuff is coming out, and like that is a very well supported game runner system. I really love Hugmar and Monarchies of Mal, even though they're basically they're they're D twenty D and D style games, right? They're mm -hmm. somewhere between three and fifth edition. They make a lot of decisions that are like those. Uh, but the genre and story in them are just enough to give you a lot of ideas to jump off with. Like, uh, they, they give you factions, but those factions have just enough information that you feel like you can do a lot with them. Uh, but you've got enough to get started. Uh, they've got a lot of plot hooks built in about unresolved problems in the world that you can either deal with or not. And that's one of the things I really enjoy about the settings. That's awesome. Yeah. What about as a player? What sort of thing do you look for uh, in a new game as a player, Carrie? I like something that's going to inspire me to play a new type of character. Like something I've yeah. never played before. Sure. You yeah. know, oh, I can play a dog in Pugmire? I've never yeah. done that before. You know, like, okay. Right. Let's see what else I can do. Um, you know, and that could just be a little bit for me is just I've, I've been doing this a long time. Sure. sure. You know, and I can only play certain things so many times before it gets right. old. You know, so. the, the, the fantasy flight games, star Wars books do a really good job. I think of inspiring players because their, their artwork, the, the, and I don't just mean the general, like large pieces of art, but like when they, when they do artwork that re, a lot of it really focuses on characters, mm -hmm. you know, and I, and not movie characters. They're just like, people who are in the star Wars universe, you've never heard of matter seen before. Right? right. You know, and it almost makes it feel like this character could be me when you look at it and, and they all look interesting and the, the imagery is evocative and, and also it doesn't hurt that the artwork's really great in yeah, those books. Yeah. Um, but I love the idea that like I can flip through there and go, Oh my gosh. Hey, everyone at the table, this, this is what I'm, this is what my guy looks like, you know, like, and hold the book up and point to the picture. Like that, that imagery really inspires, can be inspiring mm -hmm. to, to help somebody pick, you know, a thing. And it, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like when I flip through the book, kind of like Carrie says, I want to be inspired to play something new and different. I want to feel like I get to experience something new. Uh, but also I, I like something that's selling me, not from a power fantasy standpoint, but more like what interesting mechanic do I get to interact with that makes me feel like, oh, this is going to be cool to do this thing. Right. Uh, not, not necessarily a power, but like, uh, like if I want to play a thief, I want the thieving part to feel fun. Sure. So if you give me a cool mechanic to use, so it feels fun and interesting and maybe dangerous that that makes me inspired to play that kind of character. You're looking uh, for something. You're looking for a game that's going to, to, um, support mechanically the archetypes that it's inspiring you to play. Absolutely. They should feel fun and interesting with interesting choices that I get to make. Right. That's, that's what I'm looking for. By the time I get done reading the character creation section, I should have at least three ideas of characters I want to play. Right. I should have a tough choice. And some of that is done by, you know, if it's well-written, there are, there are character hooks in the text you're reading. Absolutely. Yeah. That will inspire you. Yeah. 
these are the kinds of things if I play this sort of character that I could be trying to do. Right, right. It could just be simply you see a picture and you go, man, I'd love to play a character like that. I'm going to buy this book. Mm -hmm. Like it could just, sometimes it's just, I just want to play that. Right. Um, But once you get in there, you know, I want it to have, have some room, you know, give me those plot hooks, set me up with the, that inspiring imagery and, and the things that, that I need to play that, but then leave me plenty of room. I mean, to me, role playing is about making interesting choices. So I want you to give me, some sort of structure that makes those choices make sense. But I also want to have enough room, whether it's narratively or mechanically or hopefully both to, to make choices that I find interesting to do things that I like and to build characters that are uh, fun and different. Gosh, I want to go. I mean, this makes me sad that there aren't still game stores that just have hundreds of role-playing game books to just go and look and discover a new game. Because that's what I want to do now is I want to go discover a new game. Mm-hmm. Now, man, I... <laughs> All right. Well, everybody should go find a new game and then tell us uh, what you look. F- tell us what you look for in a new game and tell us what new games you've discovered yeah. and why, why you bought them. And we'd we, love to hear about it. Because I want to hear about new games. Yeah. yeah. You know, if, if somebody emails us about a new game that they really like, I'd, I'd say almost certainly we'll read it on the air unless we get 100. And then we'll have to break it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tell us what I game mean... you bought and you loved. And let's see if you can make one of us buy it. Ooh, ooh, yeah. Convince us. Let's go to Game Wrap. Welcome to Game Wrap. So that show was okay. Yeah, we did okay. Yeah. That's good for your age. Five out of seven. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what I'm really looking for in a podcast, though, is something that's unique and inspiring. Didn't didn't see well, that. It shouldn't have been a gaming podcast, then. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> All right, is well, it our, is it our reputation? Yeah. <laughs> well, you can find us at honorrollpodcast.com, and of course, you can go to iTunes, Stitcher, or anywhere else that you listen to all of your wonderful podcasts. Uh, and you can find us there. You can go to Twitter at Honor Roll Podcast. Of course, Facebook.com slash group slash Honor Roll Podcast. You can send us an email about the games that you just want to buy or that you've just bought at hosts at Honor Roll Podcast.com. And of course, we would love for you to become a patron of the show and get mm-hmm. some free mm-hmm. stuff and get a shout out at Patreon.com slash Honor Roll Podcast. <sighs> there we go. There we go. All right, Carrie, you get one experience point. Thanks. Yeah, Woo. I appreciate you playing. All right, let's roll on the magical items cart chart. It's a chart. It's not a cart. I, it's I, a chart. I mean, maybe you're rolling on a cart. I no. wasn't going to judge. No, it's a chart. I'm not judgy. All right, here we go. I'm going to get a cart now. Hey, look at that. You just got a, a print-friendly version of this podcast in PDF. Oh. That's pretty good. No. That's great. You'll be able to actually read it. <laughs> Jason, you get one XP, and uh, let's see what you get. Almost lost the die there. I don't know. You didn't get nothing. I botched. (laughs) No, that's about right. (laughs) You're the worst. Look, we all know that a good storyteller would be able to turn that into something fun and interesting. So we got to make cool decisions. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Not join- just play sound effects. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, all right. Join us next week when our topic is Ryan Martin runs revolutionaries live on the air until next time. I'm Ryan, the curmudgeon, Carrie, the legend is here and Jason, the favorite was with us. Uh, can't wait to see you next time. Remember the only way to win at a role playing game is to have, have fun. fun. Have fun. The only way to win is to have fun with my friends.